full circle. Hi, I'm Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. Girlfriend, this is a place where you and I can connect. It's a show that embraces a 360-degree look at womanhood. It's our voice, our perspective. It's what we care about, and it's how we feel. Empowerment through conversation is what it is. This is Full Circle. Welcome to another edition of Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. You know, I'm just grateful to be in the house talking to you about important topics, making sure that we have the information that we need uh, to make informed decisions for our lives. So those of you that are listening, man, gather the family. This is going to be a great episode today. I totally like as soon as I saw. So, you know, I hosted the Black Women's March a couple of weeks ago. And as soon as I saw Dr. Stacy Alt. Um, do her presentation. I, I even said on the march, I was like, you you got to be on my show because she was just so dynamic, so powerful, and she's doing some great things in the world. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Stacy. Dr. Stacy Alt is an assistant professor in the social work division at Sac State University. Um, her pronouns are she, her, and hers, which is really important, and we want to make sure that um, you know we're respectful of that. You know, if you notice, people are starting to make sure that they let you know what their pronouns are. It's really important to be respectful of how people want to be seen and called. Um, she is a leader, coach, activist, a healer, a scholar, and a mama uh, to both her biological children and the young people in her community. Dr. Alt's scholarship revolves around critical post-traumatic growth, and we're going to dig into what that is, among individuals and communities, as well as examinations of blackness and anti-blackness in communities and institutions. In 2016, Dr. Alt founded the Race and Gender Equity Project. Uh, their mission is to harness individual and collective transformation through healing, education, advocacy, and research. They do this by building leadership capacity, especially among Black women and youth, as well as supporting key allies to address white supremacy and anti-Blackness in their institutions and lives. Dr. Stacy, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to have you. Like I said, the moment I heard your story on the Black Women's March, it was just so powerful how you were so transparent and talked about your life pre who you are now, right? That kind of the coming up and the things that you have faced. So let's dig into a little bit of that and just, just tell the family who you are. Introduce yourself. Thank you. Well, thank you, first of all, Ms. Wanda, for having me. I'm super honored and humbled and privileged. And um, when you when we were on the, the chat in the Black Women's March and you mentioned that you were a speaking coach, uh-huh. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to meet this woman <laughs> and spend some time with her because uh-huh. I feel like we're all on this journey, right, Absolutely. of growth, of transformation, of healing. And a little bit about me. So I was born and raised in the U.K., you will hear my accent come out when I talk about it, when I read, uh-huh. and then the rest of the time I'm self set. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, um, so I was I, I immigrated to the U.S. at 16 to California Central Valley to reunify with my mom. I grew up without biological parents in the home, and so 
Um, that was a you know a whole kind of late adolescent transition, mm-hmm. and then the journey continues. I came to Sac State as a twenty year old transfer student with a three year old. My eldest, we're not going to talk about how old she are because, you know, <laughs> y'all be doing math and right? stuff. But my my eldest is over 30. Okay. And so she um, she and I showed up at Sacramento State, lived in low-income housing, rode my bike because I didn't have a car, mm-hmm. and have been in Sacramento and fell in love, in love with the city and the people in it ever since. I'm yeah. just really grateful to be a part of a community that's so um, – intentional about how we love on each other yeah that's good that's good i want to go back to your migration to the u.s so your mom was already here yes and so you were living with friends or family and then just said okay i'm gonna make the leap what was that feeling of knowing that you're coming to live or trying to come to live in the u.s so i grew up in a small i was born in bristol in the uk and bristol is kind of famous right now for pulling down the statue of some white supremacist slave owner dude. Mm-hmm. I don't know who it is. I don't mm-hmm. feel like we should even give him name. Right. Um, and erecting a statue of a Black Lives Matter female warrior. Mm-hmm. So um, born and raised in Bristol. And then my mom um, left the UK when I was about five, no, about 10, mm-hmm. left left my home when I was about five, left the UK when I was about 10. Mm-hmm. And so lived with my sister's dad, um, who raised me throughout my life. Um, and so I didn't have biological parents in the home, okay. tra- trauma survivor, just mm-hmm. even childhood trauma, and adolescent just angst. Like I, tr- I struggled being a teenager, um, in a in a in a white home, and in a predominantly white village. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, mm-hmm. moved to the city, expanded my kind of circle, um, and then my mom invited me to the U.S. to come to college at sixteen. So in the U.K., you can finish school at sixteen oh. years old. It's non compulsory anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I was like student, like effort. I'm done with school. I ca- I can't do this. I was super disengaged extremely traumatized. Um, And so then my mom shows up and says, oh, you can come live with us Mm -hmm. um, in the U.S. for to go to college. So to me, like, I'm going to California. So me and my friend hop on the train, go to London by ourselves. I'm 16, Uh right? Like, I think about my my daughter's 15 and a half. She Uh just got her her driver's permit. Uh And I think about her, like, jumping on the train and going to New York or (laughs) San Francisco by herself. Like, what? (laughs) Go get my visas, uh, student visas, all of these things to come to the U.S. for a year was the intention. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad and sister, my little sister was 14 at the time. So um, she's, you know, we're both crying. I can't Mm -hmm. believe you're leaving me. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to California for a year. It's going to be amazing. I'll be back shortly. Uh I'm going to go get my college on. Uh And so I get to, so I have this suitcase that's like like old school, tied together, dad's belt, like a wonky afro, because in, you know, that era, 16-year-olds in the U- in the uh-huh. UK were still wearing afros. Uh-huh. So I, I arrive in San Francisco. My mother comes to pick me up in a slug bug. Oh, my goodness. It's September. It's 100 degrees outside. We're driving down I-5, uh-huh. the Altamont Pass or whatever. <laughs> and, we're, and I'm just literally eyes big. The slug bug has no air conditioning. <laughs> I'm like, oh, 
crap, what have <laughs> what I, did I do? done? And then I end up in Merced, which during that era was, you know, segregated, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a midway point from L.A. to the yeah. Bay Area. Just a struggle. Miss Wanda, the Man. struggle. <laughs> I mean, that is not the impression of California that you think of, right? Where is the beach? <laughs> right? Where are the, where's the surfboards? Merced. Merced. Merced doesn't even have much now. So, I mean, oh. I can imagine. <laughs> Did I just totally diss your hometown? Right? No, no, no. Oh, right. oh, look, right. sis, that is not my hometown. Oh, okay, good, like, it was good, a little short stop <laughs> on the road. Um, so your first days or months or year in California was adjusting to this place where it was totally different than your expectations. Different to my expectations, different to my childhood. Um, I struggled. It was a And it, it gave me a lot of empathy, you know, later on in my work life, working with um, migrant families, immigrant families, like that, that's a tough transition, yeah. especially yeah. for teenagers. And during this era, I mean, we were gangbanging, they mm-hmm. were drug selling, like mm-hmm. there was a whole bunch of things going on that I just wasn't ready for. I was kind of fascinated by, I yeah. think, in somewhat, um, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're disengaged, you find folks that's also disengaged. Yeah. And so within six months, I fell in love. My blue looked like ready for the world with the little Jerry curl and says he was fine and struggling. Right. And yeah. so within um, six months, I had I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, he's taking a path. Uh, he dropped out of high school, as did I, mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, in, in California, there's a nine, 90% chance, 90% chance that if a black man drops out of high school, that he will become incarcerated within, um, before he's the age of 25. Mm. 90, 90%. Mm. And so he took that path and he's um, is doing 25 to life in CDCR. Um, and I realized after spending a year out of school like I need to navigate this world differently yeah. and provide for my daughter and you know I want I want something different and so hence the journey to Sac State begins and I share that not to say like oh I made all these right decisions yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like you know what I mean like elevating myself in this story mm-hmm. but really acknowledging the systemic oppression that you know we experienced then as mm-hmm. black people, as black girls, as black boys, and still do now. Yeah. And I was just able to kind of s- sneak through mm-hmm. in some sense. And I think that being educated in the UK, having a really solid ed- educational foundation was helpful. Yeah. Even in the midst of my trauma, I knew that this education thing could be a ticket. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I left my friend, like my friends were dying, you know what I mean? Mm. Getting incarcerated. Yeah. I left my friends. I left everything I knew. Um, and came to Sacramento to go to school. And yes, like extremely grateful for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And also there's some survivor guilt and some sadness about yeah. folks that didn't have those same opportunities that I had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I met my biological father at over 40. Mm-hmm. And um, my grandmother had nine children and all of them have higher, and they, they're from Malawi in e- Southeast Africa. Okay. And all of them have um, 
post-secondary education, Mm -hmm. doctors and lawyers, and my father's a dentist. And so I feel like there was this ancestral pull Mm -hmm. to greatness Mm -hmm. that I give thanks for. And then I feel like this foundation um, from my dad, who, um, you know, even though I wasn't his biological child, was um, a professor in in the UK and kind of just, you know, all of these both ancestral pools, mm-hmm. right? This genetic, like, you're yeah. des- destined for greatness. And then these opportunities to learn um, how to navigate this world is kind of... Where, what I pull on now and where, mm-hmm. where I where I settled. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things I want to kind of, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of your story because it's important that we re- recognize that even when we have loving family that care for us as children, when we don't have our biological parents around us, that's a form of trauma or that that can be a level of of trauma or something to deal with, right? Even though we have those loving parents, so we t- we're going to talk a little bit about your study in um, what is it um, post traumatic growth, yeah, and how and because your story is that it you, that's what it's all about. And so I when I read your bio, I was like, what is that? And once I started reading, I was like, oh, we all deal, we all have growth from our trauma. It's just different levels. So anyway, I wanted to make sure that we pinpoint that people recognize that that's a form of trauma, not having your parent in the home, things like that. Those are all traumas that sometimes we don't recognize. It's just the way it is, right? You know, we have a lot of families that, you know, raise the grandkids and the nieces and nephews and all that. And that's wonderful. But I think sometimes we forget to 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 recognize that there is a level of trauma there, not having your parent with you. And as a child, you battle with like this immense gratitude mm-hmm. for folks who who didn't have to right, and brought you into their home and loved yeah. on you like that, like you were their own. Yeah. And this immense loss and disconnect from your roots, from who you are. Um, I experienced sexual abuse in my home mm-hmm. um, from extended family members. And so um, the trauma then becomes layered, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have your, your you know, you, you and then you start wondering, is it because I'm different? Is it because I don't belong that these things are happening to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. right? So... Yeah, and in and in the midst of that, we're still powerful, and we yeah. have agency, and we have the ability to, um, to grow and love, and have different levels of compassion, yeah. and all of those things kind of in this big complex ball of mm-hmm. humanness, right. right? Right, and I I think that's what I I become so interested in as I even was able to give it language. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me the other thing that we don't talk a lot about is kind of the racialized traumatic stress of growing up in a home when there's nobody that looks like you mm, as good. well. So, right, you've got the, you, you, you don't have biological parents in the home, but you also don't have anybody that looks like you. Mm-hmm. And so racism, even though your home may be a sacred, safe space, yeah. right, and yeah. you may feel love, yeah. you experience racism out in the community, you understand that you're different, you don't understand, you know, how... Um, this all works as a, I, I feel like I understood race as a toddler, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and as a preschooler, I mm-hmm. understood difference. 
And when you, you know, I think about interracial adoptions and I think about, mm -hmm. right, like people raising kids of different races and ethnicities of themselves and realizing that unless you're really intentional around surrounding your 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 children with people that look like them yeah. so that they can have those mirrors inside and outside of their home, mm -hmm. that's a real struggle. Like I really struggled with that, not in an identity crisis way where I didn't want to be black or didn't want to be myself mm -hmm. but in a way that I didn't feel like I belonged and what am I missing yeah right yeah yeah that the, you bring up a really good point I thought about that same thing of you have uh, a lot of people non-black people adopting black children and one of the things I hear I know a few uh, couples like that that they say oh we don't see color but that's like really <laughs> it's kind of dangerous when you think about it because I need you to acknowledge the fact that, yes, you love that child, you want to embrace them and, and raise them, but you still need to acknowledge not just, oh, you know, mommy and daddy are different, but we all love you. Like, you really need to acknowledge the fact that that child will experience racism, that child will experience things that you can't identify with, and that you need to surround them with community that looks like them so they can have an outlet and a place to be, um, to be able to express and, and have people that identify with them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I it's so the term that so we we used to call it colorblindness. Uh -huh. Um, and my dad used to say things like, "Oh, you, I don't, we don't see color. We're all the same. Mm -hmm. We all bleed red blood, mm -hmm. right?" And not realizing how much of race erasure that is. Mm. And if you don't see color, then somehow you don't see a part of who I am. You yeah. don't see me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and I'm grateful. So my dad was it is still is like a, definitely a white hippie. Mm -hmm. Right. So was raised in this home full of peace and love and many, many different folks kind of, you know, surrounded by mm -hmm. folks of different genders, folks of different sexualities, even folks of different races. Mm -hmm. However, like it, what was important to me was my racial upbringing. Right. Yeah. Like what was it like? It's great that we're seeing all these folks. Right. But can we have real concrete conversations about who I am and who are my people and mm -hmm. who are my ancestors? Mm, I used to, um, I'm a reader. I love to read. And as a little kid, like we didn't have a, t we had a black and white TV in the home. Mm -hmm. Like my dad was a hippie, right? Uh -huh. So we're like 10 years away from <laughs> technology, right? So we, I remember we got our first color TV and we watched a TV show about butterflies. Okay. That just shows you, right? Like uh -huh. I was, I didn't have connections to, <laughs> right. Like culture in any way. Yeah. But I, we used to read. So we used to go to the library and I would search for books on Malawi. I was a little child searching for books on Malawi because I wanted to learn about my people. I knew that my biological father was from Malawi. Mm -hmm. And I would search for books on on, the, on my ancestral home, home, you know, where am I from? Who are my people? Yeah. And, you know, A, right, like this is the 80s. 70s and 80s. So I'm looking at books that are super colonized, mm -hmm. right? Definitely white gaze right. on these books. So right. I'm getting a skewed vision yeah. of what what my my home is even. I don't understand the people. I'm mm -hmm. not given a glimpse into like the resistance and resilience and like right. pre and post colonization and all of those things. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I was still hungry for that. Yeah. And what is our responsibility to... Similar to it's similar to like raising children of different genders, right? Mm -hmm. Like single parents raising children of different genders, mm -hmm. and and you know me being I was a single mom for many many years, still am, mm -hmm. and 
I have one son. I have five girls and a boy. Oh, wow. So I have one son, and I needed to surround my son with male-gendered folks, right? Like, I needed for me to acknowledge that there are things that, you know, my daughters and my son and, you know, my kids, any gender that they that they are, right, mm-hmm. like, needed to be surrounded with folks that maybe were different to me mm-hmm. in order to really center their own identities. Yeah. And we we did, you know, we... I, I guess parents, we do the best we can right. with what we got. So we right. got to give ourselves grace. Right. And once right. we know better, we got to do better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're just joining us, this is Full Circle. I am Miss Wanda. I'm having a conversation already, just a lively conversation with my guest, Dr. Stacy Alt. She is the uh, founder and executive director of the Race and Gender Equity Project. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Keep it right here. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. This is Full Circle. Like what you hear? Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. And she is back, empowering you with knowledge and wisdom. This is Full Circle with Miss Wanda. Welcome back. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a conversation with Dr. Stacy Alt. She is a um, she is assistant professor in the social work division at Sacramento State University. She is also the founder and CEO of the Race and Gender Equity Project. We've just been talking about her journey to get here to where she's at and you know it's been a it's been an interesting journey right your first your first thought of the united states and of california <laughs> you know you landed in merced california of all places and having to navigate that but you also talked about how you ended up having your daughter moving here to sacramento to go to sac state um so we also talked about how Building community is important. Yeah. It's really important. And for you, you came to this brand new country, right? This new area. You know no one except your mom, and you barely know your mom because you two had been separated practically your whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now you're coming to Sac State. You know one person in Sacramento. That's it. And by the time you get there, that person is not who you expected. Yes. How did you get through that time of, okay, I'm navigating this whole new world and I have a child on top of that? Like, how did you navigate through that period of time getting through Sac State? Yeah, so I show up at Sac State with a three-year-old. First, I feel like the universe put things in place, right? And I knew knew exactly where I was supposed to be and all I needed to do was follow the path. Mm -hmm. So I show up at Sac State, I've got a bike, no car, mm-hmm. and you know you can't be in Sacramento without. That's right. really difficult. Even to back be. then, even yeah. back, especially yeah. back then. Yeah. And so um, I show up with a bike. I I live close to campus, so I can ride my bike with my kid on the back with her helmet on. Uh-huh. We'll ride through campus, and um, I live in a low income community. Shout out to College Town. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I live in a low in- income community, and we we built. I built relationships. I found sisters. I found aunties um and we did that together i was telling i was telling you during break that i had a conversation with my my twin daughters my one of my twins who's super independent extremely strong mm-hmm. and like wants to do it on her own and she says you know but mom you did it on your own i can do it i shouldn't have to rely on you yeah. and i reflected on that cuz in in a way like when you tell me part of the story it does feel like i'm kick ass right yeah. i don't even know if i can say that word <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like good. right like oh she's kick ass but Truthfully, no, I was like scared and and alone and you 
build like semi-trusting relationships. You Mm got to extend a little trust to people that you don't even know. You have to be extremely trustworthy. I had a community where we would watch each other's children. We would stretch those food stamps through the Mm -hmm. month. Mm -hmm. I would have sisters that would take me to the grocery store because I didn't have a car. Um, We built family. And and even now I have, you know, young people or not so young people that call me Auntie Stacy because we were aunties and cousins and family members that weren't connected biologically, yeah. but we built we built that. And I was telling you during break that to me that's blackness, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like expressions of um, Ubuntu, I am because we are, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. what does that look like, even for a twenty-year-old trying to figure out Sac State? And yeah. Sac State, my two best friends are still friends to this day uh-huh. that I met at Sac State. One of them I met on my very first orientation um, at, at, it, it, out, outside in 100 degrees. I'm like, oh, I went from Merced to Sacramento. What was I thinking? <laughs> there is still no beach, right? Right. <laughs> and we became friends and stayed friends and um, supported each other through through that mm. that experience because even though... I wasn't technically first generation, right? Like my biological father has advanced degrees. My mm-hmm. adopted dad has advanced degrees. I didn't have anybody walking that journey with me, right? Mm-hmm. So it felt so foreign and so scary. And I didn't get to do frat parties and, you know, college stuff because yeah. I had a baby. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the most we'd get was my friend Noel would have house parties, uh-huh. play records, right? <laughs> And the baby would be asleep uh-huh. in the bedroom while we was house partying in the living room. Like that was the extent of like my college, yeah, college life. Life, right? And that was like once in every blue moon. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I I realized that I I needed to study. That was my priority. Yeah. I didn't have a life. I sacrificed, you know, those um, young adult experiences for the future of what I was going to provide for my daughter and. You know, there's, there's regrets that I missed out on a lot of stuff, sure. but then there's also, like, I was never alone. Mm-hmm. Um, we always had each other. Even even when I made poor decisions, and I made a lot, mm-hmm. usually about men, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> even when I made poor decisions, right, I still wasn't alone. I still yeah. had sisters that would come and pick me up off yeah. the floor. Dr. Melissa Harris-Perry talks about squad care, mm-hmm. and she says that, what what helped her and pick, dragged her out the bed and got her into therapy and you know helped her mm-hmm. kind of go to the next day right was yeah. was her squad it was her girlfriends it wasn't self care mm-hmm. it wasn't like hashtag self care let me right. go and have a pedicure right? right it was like real sisterhood mm-hmm. and that is I mean I think that's one of the testaments of my life has been my squad yeah. Like, I'm not ever, like, I got squad, right? Yeah, even yeah. if we're miles and miles apart, even if we don't talk all the time. Yeah. Um, I have women that are going to shake me and ask me, what the hell do I think I'm doing? Right. Get get up. Yeah. Let's, let's do this again tomorrow. And we need that. We need that so badly. We need those people that we can allow them to challenge us, to push us, to tell us the truth. Like, I was sharing with you, you know, I have, 
three other women that I went to coaching program with that every month since 2015, once a month, we have been getting together and we have those hard conversations sometimes. It's not always, hey, what have you been doing this month? It's like, let me hold your feet to the fire when there's something or, you know, I might bring something to them like I'm struggling with this. I need you to help me see both sides of it and things like that. And it's all good. And we can argue to or disagree. We don't necessarily argue, but disagree have points that are different because we're not even all the same. You know, there's two black women and two Caucasian women. So that alone is a, is a, is a different dynamic. We have one woman in almost each of the age group categories from the 30, from the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, and 70s. So like it's age and it's just really diverse. But we have that safe space with ourselves that we can talk about things. We can hold each other accountable. We can challenge each other. And it really is a place of growth. And we need that in our squads. We need that. And you're right. We do, as especially as black folks, we do have that. I mean, we've grown up with a sense of community, right? Yeah. We've grown up with the neighbor down the, you know, I used to hear the jokes of like, if you did something wrong, you got a spanking four or five times by the neighbors by the time you got home because everyone was looking out for each other. Yeah. I feel like we've lost a little bit of that though. We've lost a little bit of that. I'm looking out for you. You know, it's, I feel like everyone, a lot of people are more into self versus community. And we really need to get back to how do we build this sense of community even when, you know, and find that community when you have a challenge, when there's something that you're going through, when you feel like you're alone, you still got to find people that you can have help rally around you and get you through this thing. So I, I yeah, I, I, I agree with the fact that that's blackness. Yeah. That's who we are. That's who we, we had to. I mean, we came over in a boat. Yeah. We had to have some sense of community. We had to have some sense of community when we were placed out in the fields and plantations and, and all of that. We had to have something. And so I, that's ingrained in us. Yeah. 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 And I think that, that what community affords us, too, is that safe space, like you said, to have those raw mm -hmm. and difficult conversations sometimes. And I, I mentioned, like, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I, you know, when I work with young women now, um... I think that one of the reasons why young women are drawn to calling and being transparent with me is because I've always been transparent with them. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you may have this doctorate mm -hmm. or you may have this, you know, this position or, you know, you may be this leader, but I, there are days even now, right? Well, I've, that imposter syndrome kicks in and mm -hmm. I'm just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do you have people that you can count on that help you figure it out with you? Yeah. And that's important too, that you, even with the degrees, because a lot of times people will allow that to be that wall that separates. <sighs> like I'm here I never struggled or, you know, try to put up a front like I don't want to think about the struggles anymore. I'm here. But sometimes you have to deal with those. You have to face those. You have to share those with other people because that's the only time that they'll be able to see that they can do it, too. If you stand on your pedestal with your degrees, not sharing those experiences, who are you going to reach? Yeah. Really, who are you going to really impact? You we know? don't we don't talk about educational privilege yeah. enough. Yeah. And um the the segregation that happens once you kind of quote unquote make it mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and and 
even, and I think I did this as a young person, not even realizing I was doing it in terms of if I can do it, you can do it too, mm-hmm. right? And not realizing that, you know, there's some truth in that. Like, we can do it together. Yeah. And the system is designed for a couple of us to get through. Yeah. A couple of us are supposed to, quote, unquote, do it. Mm-hmm. The masses are not, right? And right. so recognizing that and realizing there wasn't anything special about me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I tried harder. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I, you know, did more. Mm-hmm. It was that, you know, I, it happened to be... The doors happened to be open for me. Mm -hmm. And I was a professional woman. You know, if we think about the Sac State, right, I graduated at 23. I have a master's by 25. And I go out into the world. And as a professional woman, I got married in CDCR. Mm -hmm. So I was a prison wife. Mm -hmm. I failed miserably at that. Mm -hmm. But I'm a professional woman talking to other people about... Um, being being a professional and having and carrying so much shame about my own personal life experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, I, you know, experienced domestic violence, not in that that relationship, but another one. Mm-hmm. And so as a professional woman, again, right, like you're yeah. supposed to be on this right. pedestal right. and like living your best life. And we're still sometimes making hard choices, Sometimes dealing with these systems of oppression like mm-hmm. the prison industrial complex. Right. Sometimes dealing with intimate partner violence and things in our home that we're deeply ashamed of. And when you've got squad and when you have folks around you that where you have those trusted relationships, mm-hmm. sometimes it's like you you described in terms of the loving confrontation that mm-hmm. you have with folks. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, that are that are that need to step up and do things differently, and yeah. sometimes it's just sitting with me in the midst of my crap, yeah. right? Like unloving me as I make these wrong decisions, mm-hmm. and my friends and and squad and and you know, sisters have been able to do that. And sometimes, like I was hard headed. Mm-hmm. And was like, no, I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to go down to Corcoran State Penitentiary and get married. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And my poor friends, like, look, hindsight <laughs> is 2020. I know my poor friends were like, sis, what are you doing? Uh-huh. But they love me through it. Right. And it needed to happen. And, you know, my kids are the testament of, the, like, the beauty that comes out of, you know, relationships that were hard. Yeah. And um, it's all love mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. But... During the time, I put on a mask. I went to work, and I was this, you know, master's degree holding professional woman. Mm -hmm. And I came home, and I'm driving down to Corcoran Mm -hmm. on a Friday morning Mm -hmm. to visit my baby. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's I'm a completely different person. Yeah, yeah. And so, how do we love each other where we are? Right. Right. What what does community look like when we do that? Yeah, I love that, that your friends watched you through this watched you make those decisions and didn't cut you off and that's one of the things that's super important is that just because they don't agree with your choice and that happens a lot of times especially in families too it's like even though I don't agree with your choice I still love you I'm gonna support you through this instead of girl that's the dumb that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard cool I'm I'm good like you go and do you I hate that phrase. Go and do you, and I'm going to do me over here, right? And not give you the support or at, or get support, you know? Yeah. And so I love that, you know, squad that's important is that if you're going to be a squad, be a squad. Hell or high water, thick and thin. It's kind of like marriage vows, right? Through sickness and health, all of that. If you go ride with me, I'm going to need you to be all the way down with me no matter what. Yeah. 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 And that's important. 
and and sometimes we have to give ourselves permission to let go too. That's true. Because Very sometimes true. we get stuck in like these toxic relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship or even a you know family members true. or friendships. Yeah. And so I think it's yes and. Yeah. Like I need squad to ride with me. Right. And, and I need people to also let me know. Gun off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> That's not what we finna do. Right. And and how do we make space for both? Yeah. Because especially, you know, I another like term I hate, like do you, I I don't I dislike that as well. And I also dislike, even though it's absolutely true, I feel like it's overused, but hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And I feel like we've overused that, but I, I also feel like there's some deep it's, truth. It's so true though. There's some deep truth in that. Yeah. And um Sometimes we have to let go of things that aren't good for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even in the midst, I've had times even in the midst of my squad of needing to be alone, needing to wade through the water mm-hmm. by myself, mm-hmm. needed to, to, to spend time, you know, whether that's in meditation, whether that's prayer, whether that's journaling, whatever that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Some of that happens in community. And some of that happens in deep solitude. And I think that I've had both in my life Mm -hmm. and um, realized the importance of both. And sometimes that's, you know, making decisions to let things go that aren't good for us Mm -hmm. because I want different for myself Mm -hmm. and for my family. And um, sometimes when we do that, it opens up room and space for us to receive what's waiting right Right. like i can't get what you you, what the universe wants to give me because i'm dragging around right like this backpack full of rocks and trauma and pain if i empty some of that spend some time in solitude empty some of that stuff out yeah let go of some things now i got some space to receive all that you know is waiting for me yeah but i can't grab it because i'm holding on to other stuff yeah yeah, you got to let go of one thing to make room for something else. Yeah. So let's talk about, because um, I want to make sure I say it right, post-traumatic gro- critical post-traumatic growth. What is that? Can you let the audience know what that is? Yeah, so, post, so cr- post-traumatic growth lives in the intersection of critical race theory, um, which is an academic theory that says, in a nutshell, that we live in a racist society and that it's the air we breathe and that... Um, when we understand that, we're able to navigate differently mm-hmm. and our resistance becomes um, less of an individual resistance where I'm going to do better for me and more of a collective revolution around how do we recreate some systems and mm-hmm. some, some um, excuse me, how do, we, how do we dismantle things that we know aren't working, right? Okay. So that's the critical side of it mm-hmm. is being really intentional in rooting um, critical post-traumatic growth in an understanding of what is the societal, colonial, post-colonial experiences that we're in, right? Okay. And then post-traumatic growth is a theory that says even when you've experienced trauma, sometimes not just in spite of, but sometimes because of your trauma, you can grow. Mm. And so okay. for me, I'm I'm doing work in juvenile hall. I'm doing I'm spending time deep in community with young people. And I'm hearing, learning about ACEs, adverse mm-hmm. childhood experiences, and I'm learning about trauma and all of these negative deficit-based effects of uh, on us of mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. And then I'm seeing like this power and agency of young people and in spite of and sometimes because of their trauma, 
they're so amazing. Mm. And so I'm trying to, as a doctoral student, trying to grapple with all of that. What does this all mean, mm. right? And when I research post-traumatic growth, most of the research talks about a singular act of trauma mm-hmm. that um, happens to us. Maybe it's ca- a cancer. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a shooting. Maybe it's a death. Mm-hmm. But we've had sort of this, um, this you know, stable life. Then we experience mm-hmm. trauma, and then we grow. And we know in black communities and non-black communities of color, that's not our lived experience, right? right. Like, we don't have one singular right. act of trauma. We have, you know, the racialized trauma, the sometimes interpersonal trauma in our home, sometimes community trauma. We're using losing our children and mm-hmm. losing our young people. And so we're navigating trauma on a daily basis. And so critical post-traumatic growth really explores how... A, like, what is it about us that allows us to still grow in the midst of our trauma? Mm-hmm. What what things can be in place that maximize growth? And how do we both name the trauma and then not let the trauma defeat us? Mm-hmm. So we're not minimizing it in any way. We're not saying, oh, that trauma was so great. Yeah. I can't believe I went through the, this divorce, right? right? right like, right. it made me a better person. Did it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But that mess was, I wouldn't wish that mess on my worst enemy, right, right? right? And so it acknowledges both. And I think that's why I'm really, really working on not saying but. I'm really yeah. working on yes and. Okay. Right? And yeah. not like yes but. Yeah. But really working on yes, we've experienced trauma as a community, as individuals, as a nation even. Mm-hmm. And we also see resistance and joy and power and peace and growth as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I've been exploring around critical post-traumatic growth. That is fascinating uh, to put a name to that area of study, right? To think about the layers, you know, you talked about the layers of trauma that we experience, all the different intersections that we experience trauma in in our life. And how do we get to that next level so are there like steps or like once you recognize this the trauma or traumas Mm -hmm. like most of us have had multiple like you said community we we see young people dying people dying of gun violence black people dying and you know black women dying and no one standing up for us right um we see you know we may have some domestic violence or intimate partner abuse in the home on both sides um we may have and then we have the just the systemic racism that we face as black people so what how do so this is studying how do we get through that but are there actual steps or like things that we can look at to help us to break down and get through yeah those particular traumas yeah so that's kind of that's the research right like and like really looking um internally at my own growth, working with young people and really examining their their growth and then talking to black, especially black women, mm-hmm. about their agency and resistance and growth. And so to me, the first step is to name it. Like we have to name the context and we have to name the suffering. Mm-hmm. And um, for many of us, that suffering is, is you know, personal, yeah. but it's also political. And we have to name and explore and understand 
the political nature of our suffering. So, for example, for me as a disengaged student, I showed up at Merced High, right? Mm-hmm. Like I talked about coming for college and then ending up not being able to go to college and mm-hmm. I had to go to high school mm-hmm. to satisfy my student visa. Mm-hmm. So I show up at Merced High, an extremely traumatized student, yeah. you know, struggling at home, just like struggling to adjust to this new environment. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, though, and, and in talking to youth especially, had enough to get through Merced High. Mm-hmm. Like I had enough to get through that day. Like mm-hmm. if you would have just let me left me alone and let me learn, mm-hmm. I would have been fine. But no, I step on this this campus as a, as a black girl. Right. Like with attitude Mm -hmm. and, you know, my my hoodie on or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm now attacked by administration, attacked by teachers, um, brutalized by the institution. Mm -hmm. And that for me was what sent me over the edge. Mm -hmm. I had enough internal resources to handle my internal stuff. Yeah. I didn't have enough to to handle this racialized. Yeah traumatic stress that was coming, you know, at me from the institution itself and the Mm -hmm. actors within the institution. Mm -hmm. So the first step to me is naming that and thinking Mm -hmm. about politically, what do we do about that? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that's why I love the Black Women's March, because we're naming it. Mm -hmm. But then we're also right. Action oriented. What are we going to do? Right. How do we, you know, re how do we dismantle, defund Mm-hmm. Right. Rebuild some institutions that serve us well. Right. Yeah. So the first the per- first part is to name it. And then the second part for me is thinking about framing. What does growth look like? What mm. things need to be in place for us in order to 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 grow? And the four areas that I noticed um, among young people that resonated with me, as well as in like black feminist literature mm-hmm. is um, identity. Right. So how do you have a really strong sense of not just racial identity, but like who you are. Right. Right. right? Like and whether you create that for yourself or whether that's ancestral Mm -hmm. or whether that's in your family of origin, but like who you are. Mm -hmm. The second part of that to me is community. You got to have community. You got to be surrounded. You got to create that if it doesn't exist for you. Right. Yeah. The the, the third part is um, voice. Especially as black youth and black women, we're so silenced. And so how are we expressing our voice, mm-hmm. using our voices? And then the fourth part is resistance, mm-hmm. right? Like when I dropped out of high school, you know, yes, it was a little bit of school push out, right? Yes, mm-hmm. it was a little bit of school doesn't fit for me. And it was a little bit of resistance, mm-hmm. Like, middle finger up. Yeah. I'm not playing this game with you no right? more. <laughs> and we don't celebrate that enough. I think we're starting to more. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, the 80s and 90s, we didn't celebrate resistance as much. Yeah. Right? Like, we were supposed to be in compliant. We talked mm-hmm. about respectability politics. And if mm-hmm. you just do this right. and act in this way, you will be successful. And we know that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have those four kind of ingredients... Identity, community, voice, and resistance. I've noticed that it creates the conditions for growth. Yeah. And then the last phase is mm-hmm. navigation, right? Like, how do I bring it all together and learn how to navigate? And then really, probably most importantly, what is my hope? Where is my love? Mm-hmm. How do I, you know, everything that I do, even the hard parts, yeah. comes from a place of love, like love for myself, love for my own body, Love for my like like my children. I'm willing mm-hmm. to sacrifice because of this deep love and hopefulness for that yeah. I can do that we can have something better, right? Yeah. 
love for my community, love for my people, right? And so um, that's kind of and and, and again, mm. it's an explanatory theory that I'm exp- that we're exploring. I have a, another friend of mine who um, has been looking at critical wellness, mm-hmm. and so similarly, right? Like, how do we be well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that what does being well look like? individually and communally yeah yeah that's good stuff i you know when you were talking about how do i do this in love and have hope that's something that we have to really determine for ourselves because a lot of people don't have hope or don't have much hope and like how do you grasp onto that little bit of hope you have or how do you create a place where you have hope in something hope in a better future hope in wellness or hope in resilience or hope in getting through to this next thing or even the love part the self-love it hurts to see a lot of people not having that self-love that we need in order because if you don't have the self-love and honor yourself you can't get through all of the other stuff so it's like how do you you know once you've gone through all this trauma and you have all these ideals in your head and these thoughts and maybe some unresolved things working through that to a place where I love and respect myself and know that I deserve to have this happy outcome or this better outcome or the outcome that whatever it is I deserve, whatever it is I want or desire, that I deserve that. I deserve to be just as happy as the person next door. I deserve to have that degree or whatever it is that I desire, that we deserve that as well. But we got to find a place where we have to dig deep enough. And if you don't have that self-love, Find out what what was that thing that made you not that disconnect? Yeah, the disconnected you from the fact that I am worthy and powerful and have that that love for myself to know that I can persevere through anything. Yeah, you know. Whew, this is good yeah. conversation, y'all. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I do want to dig into the Race and Gender Equity Project because it all ties into what we're talking about and how you can get involved. This is Full Circle. We'll be right back. Like and share our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5. And she's back with your perspective on topics you care about. This is Full Circle with Miss Wanda. And we're back. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. I'm having a wonderful conversation with my guest, Dr. Stacy Alt, who is an assistant professor at Sac State in the uh, social work division. She is founder and uh, CEO of the Race and Gender Equity Project. And so I want to dig into that because you're doing a lot in the community in terms of you know, this, this healing from recognizing trauma, healing from, and helping people walk through that, that healing from trauma, calling it what it is, identifying it, and then being able to move forward and keep a forward momentum. So let's talk about the, and you call it the rage project. Project, So let's talk about the rage project. So the rage project was born in 2016 and I was finishing up my doctoral program. And um, in my mind, when I grow old and retire, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I would love to teach at Sac State and do private practice of some kind. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what I've said since I graduated Sac State. Uh-huh. And so um, 
as I get closer to graduation from my doctoral program, I'm like, all right, like I'm not as interested in doing private practice. I'm not as interested in being a therapist. What can I do that still allows me to give give back to my community and inspire growth? Um, but, you know, not in, in like this traditional mental health way. And so I founded the Race and Gender Equity Project really with the, the idea it started um, healing wasn't even a, necessarily an integral part of the Rage Project when we started. Mm-hmm. It started as a co- consulting and coaching and community agency that would um, center race and gender equity and provide a place for organizations who needed, you know, training or um, consulting support or evaluation or maybe research. Um, they, that they were doing work in our community but mm-hmm. that they weren't attached to our community in any way, right? So you got all these people that come in from outside and, and, and or they're from the community, but they want to do an evaluation or they want to make their programming better, but they have to go outside and get somebody that doesn't look like us mm-hmm. to be able to help and support them because we're not here doing this work, right? right? right. So that was the intention. We were doing um, kind of, you know, quote unquote, diversity training before anti-racism training was, you know, when, when it was, was just a baby. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we're doing this work and kind of building, especially leadership capacity among young people, um, I realized that in terms of justice work, we can't have justice without healing, Mm -hmm. right? Like as we're doing, as, as folks are doing activism, as folks are, you know, doing transformational work in community, we also have to be really intentional about centering healing in that. And that's not new. I didn't make that up, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just it became more and more apparent, especially around youth leaders. And as we were inspiring youth leadership, my young people are still struggling, right? They're still dealing with day with life on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Mm-hmm. And yet they're showing up as leaders in their community and then they're losing their friends or they're experiencing, you know, sexual assault or domestic violence. So all of the things we've talked about, mm-hmm. the young people that we, you know, elevate as leaders are also dealing with life. Yeah. And so how do we build in all of those components that we need to to spearhead transformation? Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the so we we the Rage Project, we were trying to think of a name for a program and that served students of color. And we were brainstorming, me and a, and a good friend of mine were brainstorming the name. And I said, ooh, race and gender equity. And the name is Rage. Uh-huh. And I was really angry at the time. Like uh-huh. we were in a, a season in our community where, you know, there was a lot of inequity was playing playing out in the deaths of young people, right? Mm-hmm. And that was pissing me off. I was angry about that. Mm-hmm. And the institutions weren't recognizing mm-hmm. and supporting. And so... I took that, I decided I wasn't going to give it to the the organization that I work with at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were going to keep this for ourselves. Uh-huh. And so the Rage Project was born. Um, and now we have a small space on 24th and Florin. Um, folks will know it as African Marketplace. And so my partner also does youth work and has a youth center upstairs at, at, at 24th and Florin. And we just expanded from the youth center where we were kind of doing youth action research and um, youth leadership, youth educational programming into a healing space that's, you know, brand new. We, we're not even, I don't even know if we fully launched because of social distancing. Mm-hmm. So I'm holding like drop-in hours, uh-huh. social distancing drop-in hours. Uh-huh. 
but really um, I hired a therapist and she works you know 10 to 15 hours a month because it's kind of what we can afford right now yeah, yeah. and she's seeing black youth um, I have one of my daughters teaches yoga and so you know she's an overcomer of her own and has mm-hmm. taken kind of yoga has been one of the things she's done to really work on her own mental health mm-hmm. and so in this space where you know we're we're it's a, a black owned space where black youth are a hundred percent welcome mm-hmm. and uh there they will be able to find therapy and yoga and just a space where they can sit um one of the women in the center was um came by and and was cleaning and, and was kind of peaked in the place and she was like you should put up a flyer because all the moms in this plate in the in the center would want to come and you know mm-hmm. sit in the space and just have some time to themselves. Mm-hmm. So the vision is that it just becomes a community space where we can heal, right? Like mm. we are what we need. Yeah, that's true. And um, my my daughters renovated the space, so it's a black woman space. It's black woman energy, all black femme energy, all in this space. <laughs> Um, but they put in floors and painted and decorated. You have to nice. go to the Rage Project on Instagram or uh, follow me on Instagram and, and see the pictures at British Bella. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. And it's I just feel like it's just a baby, too. And as 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 community grows and as we continue to become intentional about our healing, mm-hmm. we have a little tiny room mm-hmm. that we can practice what yeah. we preach. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes our homes aren't conducive to healing. Right. Especially now when we work from home, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's trauma in our home or whether our homes are just full of people and mm-hmm. we don't have a moment to ourselves, especially as black women. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that the rage, heal- rage healing space will be a space where we can unwind, journal, you know, listen to the the water fountain, mm-hmm. um, stretch your body. We hold trauma in our body. Yeah. And our body is our oldest friend. She's been with us longer than anyone on this earth, and she will be with us longer than anyone we've ever met. And yeah. sometimes we treat her so bad, and we don't love her and nurture her the way that she, you know, does her best to love and nurture us. Mm. And so... I think yoga is a good, you know, I was yeah. not a yoga fan. Uh-huh. I, I didn't understand it at all until uh-huh. I started stretching my body and being present. I think as a trauma survivor, we learn how to disassociate from mm-hmm. our bodies mm-hmm. and we don't learn how to be present with ourselves. Um, we talked over break in terms of our, even our internal voices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as our body is our oldest oldest friend our mind and our spirit is too yeah, right and yeah. so how are we i i remember telling someone one day if you could hear how i talk to myself mm. you would be so disappointed in me because i am mean like i'm the i'm one of the most mm. ener- like emp- empathetic empathic compassionate people you will ever meet until it comes to myself mm. and so how do i even spend time with myself and listening to my spirit, listening to my heart, listening to my, you know, great, great grandmothers and hearing their resistance and their joy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. their strength. And how do we have a space to do that? And some of us can do that in our homes, right? Some of us do that in churches, but some, you know, this is just another, another option. Yeah. 
the space is beautiful. Um, I follow the Rage Project and you on um, Instagram, and it is a beautiful space. It beautiful. it looks like a place where I would want to go and just totally put leave all my cares at the door, bring some in with me so I can work through them. But you know, it's just a place of healing and and comfort. You know, really bright and airy and light. So the goal, I mean, right now it's a little hard because we're sheltered and social yeah. distance and all that. But the goal is just to be an open platform place for people to come and find healing in a different variety of ways. Yes, right? yes. So there will be some programming, mm -hmm. right? Like um, my my therapist, Chipo Ash, who is amazing and does amazing work with young people, is going on maternity leave and so has been um, seeing her young people virtually. Mm -hmm. But once, you know, she has her baby and the world opens up, she'll be able to hold uh, mm -hmm. therapy sessions in the space. Yeah, we'll have yoga in the space. Um, I, have, I have another black woman um, who is a part of Afro, Lo Afro Lotus Healing, mm -hmm. a youth-led healing um, center or, or, or offering mm -hmm. space agency. And she does Reiki, and okay. so she'll be able to do Reiki in the space. So will, there'll be some kind of um, formal programming and then some opportunities to just come and sit. I laid in the space and I didn't take a nap, but I just laid. I put the yoga mat on the floor and some pillows and a sheet and the fan was on and I just laid and sat with myself, laid mm. with myself for, you know, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that there'll be opportunities for folks to do that too. Yeah, you should... Uh, we, we can talk off air, but Yoga Nidra, if you have never heard of Yoga Nidra, Jill Weston is, is a, a good friend and um, she does Yoga Nidra, which it sounds, I mean, that's almost what you were doing yesterday where it's just a place, it's a form of yoga, but it's more transformative in your mind versus doing poses. But we can talk yes. about that later. Ooh, but that's what yes. that reminded me of. And it reminds me, so when you have drop-ins now, mm -hmm. what are people coming to do? Yeah, just sitting. Okay. Just sitting. I have some journals there. Okay. I was asking on Facebook, and so your listeners may be able to help us with this, but like some some folks like guided journals. So what are your favorite black femme guided mm, journals, okay. right, that we okay. can share with black women? Okay. Um, having some blank journals for people to write in and process. Nice, nice. Uh, um, we have uh, Shayla Marie, who is who is an who's an in Instagram influencer, has uh -huh. a, some guided meditations on um, Spotify, and okay. so my daughter created like this little frame, and you can hold your phone up to the to the Spotify app, and it will pull it up for you, and you can listen to the guided meditations with, wow, from a black okay. with a black woman's voice. Okay, all right. And so I think just just a space to you know we have to learn what works for us. And we oftentimes, especially young people, we don't know what healing even looks like. Mm -hmm. We don't know what, you know, outside of programming, right? Which is great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are running amazing programs. Right. But ultimately... If you're dealing with generational trauma in the home, right? Or in community, you don't, you, you don't know how to navigate You don't know that. how to navigate. And, yeah. and, and I may come to program, but then I'm going to go home to myself. Right. 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 And so right. what are some things... Um, I found this really dope coloring book. Uh-huh adult coloring book that um that has like some cool social justice sayings mm -hmm. and so like you know it could be painting it could be coloring it could be a variety of things just where you're not um obsessed with the thoughts mm -hmm. of 
you know, even tomorrow or yesterday, and we're just practicing being present, yeah. like right now. Yeah. Um, and and I've offered the space up if young people are interested in their own healing um, offerings to community. Mm-hmm. So I had a young person reach out and does sound therapy nice. and sound meditations and was like, you know, I'd love to offer that to community. And so I feel like it's wide open. Um, Black Justice Sacramento did a healing space mm-hmm. Um in June, maybe mm-hmm. the days and months kind of blur. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we just held a healing space it in Crocker Park, and mm-hmm. some young people were holding meditation circles, and it was just an opportunity, you know, play some music and yeah. dance yeah. in the space if you want. We mm-hmm. have mirrors; you may want to look at them, or uh-huh. you may not. Right? right. But I feel like we just if if we don't prioritize that and put that in our calendar and set an intention. It will often be at the end of the day that we're realizing, dang, I haven't taken care of myself all day. Mm-hmm. Right. And That's so true. by having a space that you come to means that then you have to be really intentional about showing up mm-hmm. for you, even if it's your appointment with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So even if I have drop ins, you know, and you've got a 30 minute slot, uh-huh. maybe you'll keep that appointment because right. you've got to come somewhere and you, you got to honor that. You got to honor that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I mean, I don't know what its capacity is now. We just were fortunate enough to create a space. Uh-huh. And it, it's not just for youth, black youth, right? Correct. It's for the community. It's for the community. Okay. It's for the community. We're centering black youth. Black youth will have priority. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's for black women, black femmes, black men, black folks, uh-huh. um, non-black folks. Yeah. Depending on, you know, how we, and, and I think that it's a sort of a, a blessing that we um, have launched during this time. Yeah of COVID-19 because we can't figure out all the kinks, right? Right, We can figure out what is this going to look like? How do we manage all of this? Absolutely. Um, But, you know, sometimes you can't wait for all the conditions to Mm -hmm. be ready to start your journey or to reach for your dreams. Sometimes you just got to do it, right? Like sometimes an opportunity opened up, the space was available. I went down and signed the lease the next day, right? Yeah. Like we're making this commitment. We don't know yeah. what it's going to look like. Yeah. We don't know what we're going to fill it with. Yeah. But we're making this commitment to our dreams. Thank you. And sometimes I, sometimes Thank I, you. I need I, do that. That one was for me. I needed that. <laughs> I needed that little nugget in my spirit. Like, yes, yeah, sometimes you got to just go for it. Sometimes you just yeah. got to go for it. Yeah. And where there's vision, there's provision, right? That's what right. the elders would tell right. us. Right, right. You right. know, where there's vision, there's provision. There's, yep, it's, it's going to happen. And it's going to come. Yeah. The thing, you have everything you need inside of you to create your reality, right? Yeah. And so maybe someone will come into the space and just sit with themselves and be able to, maybe they're not healing mm-hmm. the past. Maybe they're envisioning the future, Yes, right? Like maybe they're just taking the time to plan out their own dreams. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all of those things are important when it comes to our growth. Mm-hmm. 2251 Florin Road. 2251 Florin Road. We're upstairs in Suite 203. Okay. Um, right now, while we're in COVID, it would be better to hit us up on an email okay. at stacy at rageproject.org okay. or DM us on social media okay. and we can set up a space and a time for, for folks to come see the space and again bring a mask if you can you know if you want to visit you can visit in the space mm-hmm. um, or if you want to just use the space by yourself yeah yeah and how can we help? How can the community, anyone listening, you talked about maybe journals or things like that. How can we support 
the Rage Project? Yeah, well, we are a 501c3, so of course, monetary donations allow us to hire young people to manage the space, which is the vision. Mm -hmm. um, and you can go to rageproject.org backslash donate. Um, and then tangible things like you mentioned, anything that you think a young person or yourself even mm -hmm. would benefit from when it comes to healing, whether that's journals for folks to write in, mm -hmm. whether that's art supplies, mm -hmm. okay. um, whether that's, you know, sometimes it's candles and incense and lotions mm -hmm. and, you know, sometimes even scented oils or mm -hmm. those kinds of things, anything tangible that's helped you on your healing journey. Yeah. Um, what I would really love is if folks want to gift us with something tangible is that they would write a little card to a young person mm. that would teach them how to use this gift. Yeah. Right. Like this is, you know, this is how I've used a journal in my past. Mm -hmm. And so then as we share with the youth of our community or, or black women or activists mm -hmm. or whoever is in need, mm -hmm. we're able to not only share the gift of, you know, something tangible, but right. also the wisdom. Um. We're also working on a virtual space mm -hmm. that um, we've been we've been collecting testimonies and advice from uh, adults for youth. And so anyone who's interested in creating a little video mm, okay. or some kind of kind of inspirational message or mm -hmm. healing, maybe they do yoga themselves and would like to create a short video. Mm -hmm. um, we're hoping that whatever we create in person. Mm -hmm we can also replicate online okay. so that if you don't have the ability to come to the space, the space is an upstairs space. Mm -hmm. And so um, folks of differing abilities may not be able to yeah. climb up the stairs, right? We start somewhere. Right. So then how do we replicate that virtually? If you don't have transportation, you can log on to rageproject.org and see a virtual space mm -hmm. where folks are pouring into you as well. It. Maybe it's, you know, at midnight, and you need someone to offer you a word of inspiration or teach you how to meditate. Mm. So it's just another way that you can you can get involved. Um, and then lastly, if you have an offering and you need a space mm -hmm. and you want to, you know, you have an offering for your, your community and you've been looking for somewhere where the young people that you're already working with could come and, mm. and heal, then hit me and we can talk about, you know, you offering that up, using the space as your offering to community as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's wonderful. So many ways that this space can be utilized to help heal. That's what it's all about. It's about healing. When we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about trauma stewardship. Yes. Wonderful conversation. This is Full Circle. We'll be right back. If you have something to add to the conversation, drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. Empowering women through conversation. This is what she does. She's Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. Thank you so much for staying with the program. So happy to have my guest on the show today, Dr. Stacy Olt. Wonderful conversation that we're having. Remember, Dr. Stacy is assistant professor in the social work division at Sacramento State University, but she is also the founder and CEO of the Race and Gender Equity Project, also called the Rage Project, a space for healing, especially for our young people, man, it feels like our young people are just taking hit after hit after like all of these things just keep happening and keep happening. And how do we help them navigate through that? Uh, black women too, you know, the rage project is a space and a place where we can come and start to name that trauma so that we can work through it and work to a place of healing. 
Did that did that sum it up pretty yes, well? Okay, yes, 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 yes. I want to make sure that you uh, follow the Rage Project on social media. Uh, it's just Rage Project um, on Instagram. Yes, right? and the young people um, curate that that social media space, so that's curated by youth. It okay. is going to be a teen takeover, I think, starting next week. So okay. um, they can follow us there or go to rageproject.org. Yeah and see what we're up to. Yeah. And, you know, if you have any young people in your life or if that is a calling that you have to serve young people, uh, please reach out. Um, There are going to be plenty of opportunities for you to be able to participate and to be able to help, as well as maybe you have a group of sisters, a a group of friends that you just want to have a space where you can come together and talk about all the stuff that we are facing as black women. Ooh, yes, man. Just yes. the the whole, you know, the uh, I just did a, a talk with a the, my former organization. They had a safe space for black employees and allies. And so they asked me to moderate that talk. And it was so powerful because it was talking about these experiences that we have in the workplace that a lot of time. And I work for the state of California. The listeners know I work for the state and. The state's not exempt. I know a lot of times people think private industry is where all of the yucky stuff happens, but in state government, it happens just the same. And so it was refreshing to be able to have this conversation, to moderate this conversation of the racial inequities and things that people are facing in working for the state of California. We had a high-ranking official on, and she ex- she shared her experience, which was absolutely devastating, this high-ranking black woman who was talked about from the time she was appointed by the governor has just gotten attack after attack after, you know, people trying to discredit her and people trying, you know. And so it's important to have these conversations, um, especially as, as black women as well, you know. Yes. And we're raising those youth that are having these experiences as well. So how do we help bring them through to a place of healing when yeah. they're seeing their friends get shot in a cemetery or get shot yeah. on the street or, you know, be arrested and taken down in such a violent way by police and, and all of these things that are happening. We all need a, a level of healing. I mean, yeah. just to, to be black in this world, we need to make sure that we acknowledge the things that we're going through. So that we can get to a place of healing, so we can help the next generation, so that they're not compounding the trauma, yeah. and that they are going and actually being able to help walk or to walk in a more healed space than what the people, their ancestors, those before them have gone through. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about. Um, I'm on the website now. Again, it's RageProject.org. Um, I saw an interesting trauma stewardship. Can you tell us a little bit about what that what that is? Yeah, so trauma stewardship is designed for folks who are working with traumatized people and have to be a good steward of their own trauma Mm. in order to give fully to the communities that they serve. And that their own trauma could be the trauma that they experience just working around folks that are traumatized, right? Like secondary trauma. Um, it can be called vicarious trauma. Like I'm like we used to use the term like I'm living vicariously through you when right. you're doing something fun. Right, right. But I can also live vicariously through you when I'm 
in relationship with you and you're experiencing trauma, right? Yeah. Um, compassion fatigue mm. and kind of the tiredness and exhaustion that comes from being surrounded by trauma every single day. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I teach in the social work division and so I was trained as a social worker and I've done social work for many years and um, that's traumatizing as well. And not only am I kind of absorbing the trauma and the energy of the folks that I'm working with, mm-hmm. but oftentimes, especially as black folks, we're also dealing with our own trauma on a daily basis, whether that's racialized traumatic stress or whether that's trauma in our own families and homes. And so how do we become good stewards of that? Knowing that for me, I realize that trauma is, you know, is, is, is sort of a familiar foe, right? Like she's likely going to come with me many places that I go. She's yeah. going to show up. Yeah. And so how do I learn how to, you know, navigate her hold her accountable, minimize and get rid of her as much as I can. And then Mm -hmm. when she shows up, what do I do about that? And so trauma stewardship really talks about like putting our own oxygen mask on first. Mm -hmm. And how do we take care of ourselves so we can take care of others? That's so good. And as as I'm hearing you say this, all of these professions just come to mind. Teachers, you know, coaches, all of those people that experience and, and help and work and have their arms around the community in some way. I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago, about, about a month ago, I did a, a special episode with all black men talking about being a black man in America. And we had a, a psychologist on, Dr. Malachi Cote. And when I asked the brothers, how are you doing? His reaction, I'm the whole room almost just lost it because his reaction was, so raw because he was like you know what no one asked me that as the psychologist Mm -hmm. I'm the one asking the question he said but no one ever asked me that and that's important when we're talking about serving when if you're a teacher if you work for if you're a social worker if you work for all of these different professions where you have to wrap or where you're wrapping your arms around people who have experienced trauma what is that how how do you help keep your trauma in check so that you can help them walk through that? Because if you haven't dealt with your trauma and you're working with people that are traumatized and something triggers you, then you now can't be as effective because now you're struggling with your own thing and trying to help someone else. So it's not saying negate your trauma. It's just saying, how do you, how do you, I don't know, compartmentalize maybe? I'm not, I, I don't yeah. I even hate to say that. You maybe know? it's heal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> maybe like it's how do we heal? Yeah. Right? Like, how do we heal our internal trauma? How do we heal in community with others? Mm-hmm. How do we prioritize our own healing, realizing that, you know, we're not talking about a wound that was, you know, that we're, I'm a healthy person and then I got a laceration on my body mm-hmm. that I need to sort of cover and, you know, let, let, or, or uncover and let the air, remember back right. in the day, they would be like, take that bandaid off. <laughs> you got to let, let it heal. Right. <laughs> but realizing that, yeah, we got many, many wounds mm-hmm. and sometimes they're self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're state sanctioned and sometimes they occur because of us watching other people hurting. And so through all of that, how do we prioritize our own healing? Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's some compartmentalizing that happens, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes I know trained as a social worker, especially in the 90s, we were taught we were supposed to leave yourself in the car. Mm. 
right? Like you're supposed to leave yourself in the car and be there fully present for your clients. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you get in your car and you, then you put yourself back together again. But like, that's not a reality. Like actually what my clients quote unquote need the most is me. Right. Right. And so how do I show up, you know, not unleashing or unburdening on my clients, Mm -hmm. but how do I show up in my full authentic self? And I can't do that unless I'm actively engaged in my own healing and not something that I do. And I go to, and I, you know, now I've healed. It's kind of like forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you experience a a trauma or a pain or someone's harmed you Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, I've forgiven them. Now I'm done. And then a year later, something happens and you're triggered and you're like, I thought I forgave this person. Uh Why am I so impacted by this? Because it's ongoing. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. and we don't we don't talk about that enough, I think, in activist circles. I think we're starting to. But mm-hmm. I think about like the activists that I've admired. Right. Like mm-hmm. the 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 OGs of activism were talking about healing from trauma. Right. Yeah. Like weren't naming the trauma that was happening even within the institutions that are supposed to be pulling down oppression mm-hmm. are also oppressive. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And we're replicating those very things we're trying to dismantle. And to me, a lot of that is related to our own healing around that trauma and Mm -hmm. and us being really honest and authentic in our spaces. Even activist spaces can be trauma inducing. And how do we center and prioritize our own healing in those spaces? And sometimes that means unplugging. And sometimes that means... Not be for me, this has been a season of unplug and it's been so incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. I'm usually on the front lines with the young people mm-hmm. and I have not been. Mm. And so even the healing space is probably sort of my offering to community because I'm not in a place in my life at this moment where I have a lot more to give. Right. Like and I and I and I feel survivor's guilt around that mm-hmm. and I feel bad about that and I struggle with my role in the movement. Even now, right, as an elder, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I struggle with my role in the movement. And so all of those things call me back to me. Yeah. And to continue to do the work internally so that if all I got is a space Mm -hmm. for you to come and engage in healing, then that's that's my offering. Right. Because I don't have um, the ability to be on the forefront of policy work and things that I would have done in the past that Mm -hmm. folks are like. It, you know, kind of not necessarily expecting from me, but sure. I feel like I should be there. You put that expectation on put yourself. Put that expectation yeah. on myself. And yeah. so how do I um, engage even in my own healing? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I think I mentioned when I walked in today, I got a I got two, a text and a call from two young women on the way over here in crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Like wanting Stace, like mm-hmm. wanting Mama Stacey. Yeah. And so if, if I'm not at my best, like yeah. how do I hold space for them? Yeah. And it's a Saturday morning, right? Like that's not a nine to five job. Right, right. That's not something that crises don't occur just between during regular business hours. hours. (laughs) Right. And so, how do we, you know, prioritize and center taking care of ourselves in this work and taking care of each other? Um, I when when the when the uprising started and the 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 new the new movement or the the new iteration mm-hmm. of movement mm-hmm. building happened um during this pandemic i i i f- struggled with not being in the midst of things yeah. and i realized i have like social justice codependency mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want to be in you, it yeah. and I want to be in control of it. I yeah. want to control the narrative. I want to be in charge. I want to be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And I realized, sis, you have several seats. Uh-huh. Right. There are young people that are equipped to take this mantle. Right. Have several seats. Unpack this codependency. What mm. is it about your mm. own need that makes you feel like you're the only thing this community needs right now or the thing right. that can do X, Y, Z? And mm. I know for a fact that that's not true. Yeah. There are amazing leaders doing amazing dope ass work. Yeah. And so... Some of this, this healing spaces for even my own healing, right? Mm -hmm. And like me really recognizing that I can prioritize that and that actually is resistance. That that yeah. it actually is movement building. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good that you came to that realization too of recognizing what's happening. Like for instance, the, the social justice codependency, right? <laughs> Recognizing that that's what it was, right? Calling it what it was. Like you said in the beginning, name it. Name what is it. And then digging down into finding out what the root is. Why is that something that's, you know, rising up in me? Why is that something that is, you know, this thing that's happening is triggering this response from me? Yeah. And then working through that. Yeah. That's so really important. And I think we go through seasons of those different, yeah. just different you know, different seasons that we go through and giving ourselves permission to be present in this season. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we had enough um, models of joy, right? Like mm -hmm. when we think about ancestral joy, yeah. like rest, yeah. like peace. Like I think about, um, you know, chattel slavery and what did joy look like mm -hmm. during that season and where are the joy narratives right. and where are the rest narratives and how did like our great, great grandmothers love mm -hmm. and fall in love with mm -hmm. themselves, with, with women, with men, with mm -hmm. other genders? Like, what did that look like? Mm -hmm. How did they rest? Like, I think that we are so... We, we oftentimes uplift the narrative of abuse and of trauma yeah. Yeah. and of struggle mm -hmm. that we don't center joy and resistance right. and healing. And we get to, like yeah. we get to do that too. That gets to be part of our story as well. Yeah. One final question for you. We can talk all day, but I got one <laughs> final question for you. Um, so what advice would you have for women that are interested in starting their own social entrepreneurial or leadership journey. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. First of all, like, like dream, dream. Like what is your dream? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Go, go, go. Whether you go, whether you're meditating or whether you're journaling, but start getting it from like inside of your spirit mm -hmm. out into the universe, out into you know, verbally talking about it, like start with dreaming because mm -hmm. I think Rage Project came from a dream. Like I was a young person, like one day when I get old, uh -huh. <laughs> I'm a blah, 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 right? And so dream and then um, start just after you've dreamed, after you've imagined like what it could be, mm -hmm. then, you know, take a look at where are you? Mm -hmm. What resources and assets do you have? Who's with you? Who can you tap into? What what strengths do you have? Like I, you know, I'm a believer in appreciative inquiry, right? And mm -hmm. like coming from strength space. And so what do you got? Because mm -hmm. your dream may not be as far away as you think it is. Right. 
Right, like you, you may like. I remember as a young person, I always wanted a community center. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to like have a community center in the midst of community where young people like me could come and just be. Mm-hmm. And I got a little ass room, <laughs> a twenty four the floor, in, where young people can come and just be. Yeah, right? right, and so dream, start thinking about what you what you got, what are your assets, mm-hmm. and then let's get to planning. And you know, one step at a time, one day at a time. Surround yourself with people who um can help that dream come mm-hmm. to reality mm-hmm. because you we 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 are what we need right and especially now there's an abundance of resources virtual resources coaches like yourself mm-hmm. um entrepreneurial leadership classes like there's yeah. a there's so many when you when you have identified your dream and then you identify your assets and, and who, all your strengths, then you can start seeing, okay, what do I got to do to get there? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and who can give that to me? And right. who, where do I get this from? Right. And I think you'll find that you're closer than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the universe moves. That's true. We set intentions and the universe moves. That's very true. And very so true. we, we even the, the getting ready part, Right. And like for me, when I get old and I'm not, I'm grown, grown, <laughs> but I'm not going to claim the oldness. Right. So I feel like it happened much quicker than I expected. Uh-huh. But I was ready because I'd already kind of started thinking about these intentions. I'd already put things in motion. Mm-hmm. I already started taking steps. Mm-hmm. And so when my partner called like, hey, the people moved out next door, we could expand the space and have a healing space. What do you think? Mm. We were ready. Mm-hmm. I was able to go meet with with the, the the property manager that day and mm-hmm. sign a lease like because we began right. to put things in place and be willing to sacrifice sometimes you got to sacrifice for your dream when i left my corporate six figure job to go over to sac state like i took a 40% pay cut maybe almost 50% right mm-hmm. and so i needed to let go of some stuff some mm-hmm. things that i thought i needed in my life to be happy i downsized Realize I don't need all that stuff. Yeah. Like I actually, this is where I'm at now. This is what I want to do in this season. Mm-hmm. And so, what you know, make those make those sacrifices, um, and call us right. Like right. this is what we do. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's chat about it because yeah. um, if I could, like, if Lilo Stace, who <laughs> and daydreaming, I remember I was a daydreamer. They used to call me Stacy Spacey. Stacey. Oh, wow. Because I always was in my head and I was always daydreaming. Uh-huh. And that was deficit based to teachers mm-hmm. and to my, you know, to parents and to people that thought I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. But that was like nurturing me and teaching me how to imagine mm-hmm. something different for myself and for my children's children's children. Right. And so be in that space of daydreaming and then come find some other dreamers and we'll we'll mm-hmm. be able to move those dreams it. into reality because it's, it's it. possible. If I can, <laughs> together we 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 are what we need. Absolutely, Doctor Stacy, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is so good, fam. This is full circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. Don't forget that this show uh, 
will upload to podcast on Tuesday. So make sure you're following the show on podcast. You can find it at Miss Wanda's Full Circle Radio on Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Also, make sure you're following the show on social media at Full Circle 975 on Instagram and Facebook. Remember to follow the Rage Project on social media as well, the Rage Project. And if you want more information, visit their website at rageproject.org. You can find out all about them again. The space is at 2251 Florin Road. Don't just show up, fam. Make sure you reach out, <laughs> right? Reach out to the fam. Reach out to Stacy. Um, make sure it's all good. Again, you can email her at Stacy at rageproject.org or you can go to the website rageproject.org. And at, if you scroll down to the bottom of their homepage, they do have like a, a stay connected so you can get information, but you can also find out how to email and reach them. So that's how it's going down. Again, we need places like this. I can't, I, Dr. Stacy said it best. We are what we need. And so we need to start building community and being there for one another and helping our young people navigate through the world of, of trauma and hurt and all of these things to become the best person that they can be. You know, not all trauma is meant to um, kill us. Remember they say what doesn't kill you makes you strong and you can get strengthened through the traumas that you experience, but you have to allow yourself to be in that space. So again, it's the Rage Project, a race and gender equity project, also called the Rage Project. Again, their website's rageproject.org. Follow them on social media at Rage Project. That's how we're doing it, family. Thank you so much for tuning in and for joining us. If you have any uh, comments or questions, or if you have a show that you want to hear, um, a particular topic you want to hear me talk about, then make sure you hit me up at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. Family, remember, as always, show love to everyone you meet. And uh, I'll see you next week. This has been Full Circle. Follow our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5.